Good afternoon and welcome to Better Data for Better Medical Device Utilization and Management Health System CIO Media Inc. production sponsored by Medigate. Just a little housekeeping before we get started. My name is Anthony Guerra. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Health System CIO and I'll be your moderator today. We're looking forward to your participation. You can send in your questions or comments at any time in the Q&A box and we'll take them later in the program. Nice way to view the screen, you click on the top center, get it in side-by-side -side mode, then you can adjust the divider to get the video boxes and the slides the size you want them, and it should say speaker view in the top right-hand corner. Just so you can see how we're going to spend our time today, first we're going to go about 35-40 minutes with our main panel discussion featuring Bernie Reed, VP of IT and CIO at Torrance Memorial Medical Center. Nathan Phoenix, Director of IT and Information Security Officer with Southern Illinois Healthcare, and Samuel Hill, Director of Product Marketing at Medigate, and then we will have our Q&A. So let's jump right in, lots of good stuff to discuss today. Bernie, let's start with you. Can you give me an, or an overview of your organization and your role? Sure, I work for uh, Torrance Memorial Health System. I'm the CIO and VP of Information Technology, as Anthony mentioned. I've been here for about 18 years. Um, we have about a 443 bed hospital. Uh, we have a physician network based, uh, foundation based with 150 providers, uh, multi-specialty. And we also have an I IPA and an ACO. All right, very good, Bernie. Thank you. Nathan? Sure, I'm Nathan Phoenix, the IT Director, Information Security Officer at Southern Illinois Healthcare. I've been at uh, SIH for about 25 years, kind of moved up in the ranks to uh, my current role. Uh, background is in infrastructure technology. Uh, Southern, Southern Illinois Healthcare, we're a four hospital, uh, not for profit system. We have uh, a we, we're 300 bed with three hospitals. We just added another one. I'm not sure how many beds they have. We also have a standalone cancer treatment center. We have three regional clinics and uh, many individual provider locations throughout deep Southern Illinois. Very good. Thank you, Nathan. Samuel? Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Samuel Hill, Director of Product Marketing at Medigate. Medigate focuses on healthcare device security and management. And my background is I've been in the technology space for a few years now. But my start in healthcare came as a patient care technician, where I did about seven years in the emergency room across a couple of different hospitals uh, on the West Coast of the United States. So you name it, I've seen it, and I've got better stories that are told best over drinks than they will be on this webinar today. Well, you know, you can have drinks in a webinar these days, right? Everyone's at home. Yeah. But let's see. Let's see. Maybe towards this, the second half, we'll, uh, we'll bust that out. Great to – looking forward to it, Samuel. All right, uh, Nathan, let's start with you. Uh, please describe the challenges around medical device utilization. What do you want to know about these devices and why has it been difficult or impossible to obtain that information in the past? Yes, uh, medical devices have been kind of the mystery and the challenge for us, certainly coming on from the IT perspective of it, uh, you know, knowing where they are, knowing how they're being used, sizing your fleet is always a a big challenge on uh, devices that might get squirreled away in closets so that they will be available, things like that. So uh, it, it's been a, a real challenge just to not overbuy uh, 
and be able to manage the fleet, uh, being able to find the devices, location tracking, things like that, to know where they are whenever you need to do PMs or other, other maintenance uh, when you're not just called to come and work on something that's broken. So those are all the things you want to know, and that, that traditionally has been quite difficult, getting that information. Yeah, it's it's been really impossible. I mean, impossible. There, there's been no way to do it. Okay. Um, very good. Bernie? Yeah, all of, all of the same issues that Nathan mentioned. And, you know, in our um, IT organization, typically some of the, me the medical devices are managed by our biomed or clinical engineering group. Our group is still separate. I know there's some organizations where they have folded biomed under IT, but that's not the case. And, and, and to this day, we still don't feel that that's necessary. I truly believe given the size of our organization, you know, our, our teams work very well together, um, or at least I thought they did. Uh, the network team, you know, talks to the clinical engineering team and um, they collaborate on different projects, but that wasn't always the case in the beginning. Um, we had to really educate our clinical engineering team on security in general. And that's what helped evolve the relationship between the two teams. And like Nathan said, you know, it's, uh, they had a database where they kept uh, tracking devices, but it was never possible to keep it 100%, you know, um, up to date at all times. So you never really had a good feel for your entire, um, you know, uh, set of assets with medical devices. And we all know, and I know Samuel probably understands this devices disappear. Mm -hmm. um, and somebody's got to chase those down. And if you're in a manual process with no monitoring tools available, you've got people, you know, FTEs chasing those devices around. And it gets very expensive to do that. So, well, all right, let's go into that a little bit. So, this sounds like there's there's one issue here is the structure of the organization, whether or not clinical clinical engineering and biomed are, are under IT or separate. Uh, Bernie, you're saying they're separate at your organization, and you've made it work. Mm -hmm. um, Nathan, what do you have going on in terms of the structure there? Yeah, we're structured the same way, and. Uh, pretty pretty well identical to what Bernie said. It's it's really been a uh, it, historically a challenge to get uh, the biomedical uh, engineers to relate to security. But I will say that we've made a lot of progress in the last few years, and we've had those conversations historically for at least five years to consolidate and bring uh, clinical engineering into IT. Uh, I would say two years ago that was would have been my answer and my solution, but we've really improved the relationship in the last couple of years to the point where I don't know that that's as necessary as I thought it might've been. Um, and part of that's through some of the tools that we're gonna talk about that uh, we've put in place. Samuel, this is you know an interesting topic. We've got two organizations here where it's separate. There are probably many where it's folded yep. into one. It sounds like if, if they're folded together, then IT has an easier time, more control over ensuring the security of these devices. Otherwise, there has to be a large degree of cooperation. The biomed folks have to buy in to the concept of security that IT is requiring. Uh, and that can maybe work out or it could not work out. And I guess if it's not working out, that's when you think of folding it under. Does that make sense, Samuel? 
It does make sense. And I think what Bernie and Nathan have both identified is it is a relational issue more than it is a, a, a technical issue. And so if the teams can operate and interoperate well and be inside of different reporting structures and not have to report up through the technology organization together, if you can make that relationship work, it sounds like your organizations are doing that currently then fantastic. The goal remains the same. We got to know what devices are out there. We got to know kind of what these devices are doing, what they need to be doing, where they're located and all these different details. That information is the important piece and how you structure it can be very unique. And we've seen it multiple ways across, you know, the landscape of healthcare delivery organizations. Uh, but again, it comes down to that relational communicative issue between the organizations. Nathan, I want to talk a little bit about who's responsible for what in terms of motivations for getting things done. So, for example, you're responsible for ensuring that these devices have proper security, correct? IT has to make sure these things are secure. Yes, we're, we're responsible for making sure there's awareness to the security risks and issues that exist. Right. A usability is something you can provide through tools, and we're going to talk about that, how you can provide visibility to the clinical engineering folks about how their devices are being used. Um, but if they want to purchase more, uh, does that come out of their budget? That doesn't really come out of IT. So it's almost like you're helping them to understand and to use their assets better. But if they choose to buy another device, even though you know it's being underutilized, Go ahead, go do what you need to do. It, it, what's this work like on the ground? Well, the key for us is to make sure that they're engaged with the tools that we have. So, you know, specifically gonna talk about Metagate, making sure that they have access to the tool so that they can get in and see things for themselves, not just on the security side, but on the utilization, on the tracking. Uh, part of the relationship improvements that I mentioned have been about being able to have some shared share tools, uh, you know, working on those relationships on the understanding of the need, both on the usability and security side of things. And it's been a partnership. Uh, it helps having been in the same organization for uh, for so many years and having the, the director of the clinical, clinical engineering team, he's been here just as long. So we've known each other for so long and that's that's been hugely a help for this that we can, have those shared experiences with the challenges of the past. Uh, but really it's about looking for common goals, common interests, and knowing that this is probably the first time we've had the ability to have a tool that we both use, that we both get into that allows us to, to work towards that common goal of healthcare. And not, you know, it's not, it's not about security. It's not about, you know, them managing the devices. It's about the devices being available for the patients. Bernie, what are your thoughts? Uh, you know, I agree with Nathan, and I think he um, hit on a point that even though we worked well together, because similar to Nathan, you know, I've been here 18 years. Our director of IT security, who is no longer with us, um, was here for 17 years. Our uh, clinical engineering uh, manager had been is has been here for 25 years. So we sort of all know each other really well and can sit down and have some you know, uh, not uh, difficult conversations. In the beginning, you know, it was a matter of our network team and their team reaching out to each other. When we implemented uh, Medigate, we, got, we, we suddenly had a common platform between us 
that conversations and um, goals and objectives uh, could be, um, you know, developed as an outcome of using a tool to to kind of spur those discussions. Um, and, you know, by the way, it wasn't easy to even convince the engineering department or biomed that we needed this tool. Matter of fact, we were trying to get them to purchase the tool, thinking that it was really going to be primarily used by them. As it turns out, we're both using it equally. So um, it gives us a lot of visibility with all our devices in the organization. Um, and so both of us benefit. And that's the kind of conversation you have to have is both of you, you know, benefit. And I think once we, so we had the budget for it. So we decided to go ahead and purchase um, Medigate uh, under the IT umbrella and had it implemented it, did, you know, all the um, evaluations up front prior to even purchasing. And I know we're going to talk about this a little bit more later, but um, we, we kind of went through that process of understanding what um, solutions were out there. And so it was largely driven by our IT security team. But then over time, as once we got it implemented and we could demonstrate how, how visible the devices are that they manage, it also became an efficiency tool for them. Um, the latest and greatest is that they've saved almost greater than 40 hours per week, which is about an FTE in hunting down these devices. And, and that's a real savings. Um, and and it, uh, I'm sure it's more now that we've refined the tool over time and configured it, you know, learned um, our, as our knowledge has grown as to how best to utilize the solution. So there's many, you know, um, unforeseen benefits um, in having a tool like this. Samuel, do you think most um, engagements uh, your company has is uh, what Bernie said being brought in, um, the purchase being funded through IT, brought in through IT with the goal of security? And, oh, by the way, look at all this benefit you get in terms of understanding utilization that that is more embraced by the clinical engineering folks because they're really interested in that. They're happy with the security, but they assume IT is going to take care of security. You guys, that's your job. You figure that out. So, yeah, it's a great tool. And now so it almost benefits both departments, but primarily it's coming in and being funded through IT as a security buy. Is that correct? Yeah, I think historically that's been our route into customer environments has been through the ITIS organizations because of it. You know, it's work as a security tool uh, and providing the data that it does so they can better secure and infect policy against their network and everything. What we're starting to see, we actually, um, you know, recently have launched the formalization of this program for the biomedical audience where they can say, let's look at Medigate as a utilization tool primarily. And they're different audiences. They obviously care about, you know, both of them care about device security. Both of them care about the, the safety of patient records and all of those things. But the biomedical use case is a separate nuance that we're starting to focus on a little bit more. Um, and it's a balance for us. We have to say, look, we're not going to forget and move away at all from the security conversation because it's been very vital. And we still all have plenty of work to do securing our enterprises. And But the biomedical audience has started to really come on board with, oh, you can help me do my job better and more efficiently. I can actually know and find where these devices are when they're needed to be found. Uh, that's a conversation that is picking up for us. Nathan, you want to talk a little bit more about how the clinical engineering and biomed folks are 
leveraging the utilization information? Have you had many conversations with them about what they like, what they're able to do now, and how it's helping them? I think as far as utilization goes, that's something that they're they're early in that process on. Uh, you know, they've they've really embraced using it uh, as we've talked a little bit about. You know, locating devices. Uh, we had a, a an instance uh, a few months ago where they were trying to figure out which of their devices were connected wired versus wireless, and they had no way to do it. So I I sent a report. I, I went into went into Medigate and within like a minute had a report of all of the devices. You know, one I I said, does this count look right? And they're like, yeah, that looks like the right number of devices. I said, okay, here's how they're connected. And you know, there 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 are things like that that you just couldn't do before that. It, it would have been legwork for them. So talking about the savings that they would have on just on their staff, tracking things down, finding things out like that. Uh, I think they are starting to explore a little bit on the utilization side to see about you know some of the redundancies of devices. The the challenge that I believe that we have there is the the operational areas that just don't want to let go of the extra mm -hmm. equipment. You know, there's there's that safety factor of, well, if this one breaks, we have this other one available to use and there's that that's a little bit of a, a relationship thing that they have to trust that you know the support that they'll get for the devices is going to be there and and that you can truly rely on utilization as a key to just how many do you need sam samuel you want to jump in there well yeah i mean if you're, you're coming from the emergency room and the patient care tech side of things like if it's an emergency you need that device it's got to be there and it's got to be ready to go like you don't have a lot of tolerance for and so you're right it is a trust issue nathan and but I, I think that there's that conversation around par leveling for all of these devices that float around and are highly mobile. What they're used to, probably from these units, they're asking for more devices or wanting to hold on to their devices, is they're used to people like me walking into the department and taking devices because we needed them in our department. And it's just this bi-directional or, or sometimes one-directional flow of their devices. And so they don't have a lot of confidence that it's going to be there. I think what we've seen to help solve that is when you can look at the utilization rates and say, hey, we noticed you guys are actually needing more. Here's another you know, 10% of devices for your PAR level for the next three weeks to handle whatever burst capacity you're needing. And we'll talk about taking them away when they're done. But when they start seeing you as a partner and making sure they have what they need, that relational issue does start to subside because again, they're used to not having and and you know, nurses and people on the front lines, they're, they just get the job done by really any means necessary. And so, um, they're, they want to be able to trust that you're going to help them do that. Bernie, are the clinical folks, clinical engineering folks, are they getting the information, the data or the utilization data themselves out of Medigate? Or as Nathan mentioned, are they calling you up and, and, and you're, you're sending over a report? Now How's they that working? Log, they log in themselves to the dashboards available in Medigate. So we both have access, you know, our, our network teams, endpoint teams, um, and security teams have access to um, any of the dashboards. And do you have a, a an approach or a way you feel about uh, making sure they're using it? Uh, for example, are you able to see like they haven't logged in here in three weeks and you know there's some great information in here, guys. I mean, do you have, do you feel a responsibility to continue to gently uh, provide outreach to them and educate them on what's available? Because as a, as a, you know, an officer of the healthcare system, you want to make sure people are utilizing the tools and utilizing the resources as best they can. So it's almost like 
you know they've got this information here. Guys, look at this. We don't have to prod them at all. Mm -hmm. And matter of fact, we meet with them on a regular basis. And usually um, what they see in the dashboards are the first topic. So we know we don't have to check to see if they're using it. We just know they are because mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. we, we, that's part of our conversation in our regular meetings with them. Nathan, it sounds like in the past, especially when the groups were separate, that it may have been difficult, uh, challenging to get uh, the clinical engineering folks to embrace some of the security measures that you wanted them to. Is that because they felt it, it slowed their workflow down or somehow interrupted what they were trying to do? Yeah, I think it. I think it was purely staffing and budget. You know, it, whether it was whether it was the staffing to go out and patch devices to put updates on, or whether it was, um, you know, needing to replace devices that were no long we could no longer make secure. You know, those were those were the things that were probably the biggest friction point for us. But uh, over over time, again, just with the relationship and the understanding of the risks that are out there, you know, they they've got a better understanding of what's at stake. And they're on board and, you know, to the point that Bernie made, it's, it's really there. They're probably the biggest proponent vocally of what we've put in place, you know, so it's not, it's not needing to get them to, to use what we've put out there. It's, it's that they tell others about how great it is for them. Yeah, Samuel, you know, it seems to me security sometimes can feel like medicine. Right. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, <laughs> rarely does it just make everything go a little more. Sometimes it slows things down a little bit, but we all know it's it's necessary yeah. and we, we have to deal with it. Yeah. If, if, if I'm almost thinking of the utilization information as the sugar that helps the medicine go down. Does that make any sense? <laughs> yeah. Because how very Mary like Poppins of you. It. Yeah. They, yeah. They love they love the utilization information. Um, and this makes them a little more excited about putting in this security tool that's got this upside to it. Well, and I think what Bernie said was really interesting is, you know, where this tool is funded from and what budget sources, you know, it's obviously a topic of conversation inside of any organization is how are you going to acquire and then deploy tools that you deem uh, necessary and effective for what you're trying to accomplish. And, and, you know, being able to get that team on board, you know, who knows, maybe they contribute, maybe they don't contribute. It sounds like Bernie, your team decided we need this tool for our own uses so we can fund it out of our budget because we had some and it was there. And whereas they weren't able to do that. But you're right. It is that added bonus at this point where they can say, oh, you mean I can help secure the devices and I can also help me better manage my workflow, my operation and make sure that, you know, we're not buying, you know, another 10 percent of devices each year when we already have 25 percent more than we actually need. And if we could better use them, I think the statistic we use is that on average, like an IV pump is a good example of this. On average, it sits idle about 58 percent of the time just sitting there not doing anything, which is not ideal. If we can get that utilization rate um, higher where it's being used more often, we might be able to do a little bit more with a little bit less and may not need to spend as much money buying new devices to keep up with the demand when we already have as many devices as we need. And so when they can start seeing that information and can start cost justifying the investment a little bit, we do see them get excited. Um, And you know, there's another reason um, for for having the IT department involved in acquiring that solution because you eventually want your technology security solutions to integrate. You know, so I know that some organizations are a little ahead of us on the game 
of integrating Medigate with their network access controls and you know their other technology solutions or ServiceNow um, and that type of thing. And so we, we have that perspective in the IT department that the uh, Biomed Clinical Engineering Group may not. Not to mention we're, we're a little bit more experienced in evaluating technology solutions such as that um, and, and how we wanna see it work and integrate with the rest of our security program. Bernie, that's yeah, a fantastic point. That sounds like the, the shadow or gray IT issue where things can be purchased that are technology outside of IT's purview and without IT sign-off, whether a general sign-off or a security sign-off, um, that can cause many problems and get IT professionals very frustrated. Do you have a formalized process or is it still possible for something like this to get purchased in your organization without going through you? Absolutely. And, um, but we've made strides in that yeah. area. It's, it's, I often wonder if it'll ever be 100%. Um, but usually what happens is the majority of the devices are purchased in mass, in volumes. And so that creates a capital purchase request. We are very integrated with a capital purchase request. It took us several years to do that. But I worked with the director of supply chain and the CFO to say, okay, you guys um, put together the capital budget every year, you um, accept requests from the various departments in the organization about the devices they're purchasing. I wanna be inserted into that process to ensure several things, that when people are purchasing devices, especially the nursing areas, you know, the ones that are less, you know, have little experience with how devices might be networked or connected to the EMR. And I think with the EMR, we've seen this evolve over time that, you know, a lot of these devices now are directly connected to the EMR. So I have a really good position to work from that says I need to be involved in that because I oversee the departments, the clinical applications departments that, you know, support the EMR. So for everybody, it makes a lot of sense. And the other thing we tend to do is also um, we remind people that when they're purchasing devices, they usually don't think about the hosting of the devices, the network connectivity, any additional IT labor or cost associated with getting those devices in the door. Because it's it's almost rare these days to find a device that's truly standalone. Well, I guess I, guess I shouldn't really say that, but as you know, with EMR, you want to connect everything you can mm. to minimize data entry by nursing and cl clinicians of entering that data directly into the EMR. And so it, it's, it, it made a lot of sense to everyone as to why you would insert IT in the approval process. But the approvals happen a lot faster on the device side than they do in an IT shop. You know, we, we sometimes take three months, four months to evaluate a product. You know, if they need a bedside monitoring device today, they're going to get it today. And so you have to really step up your game and be able to quickly evaluate if this is going to be a risk to our environment. And that part is still being refined. We're not good. We're not perfect at that. Um, we're kind of learning because there's new devices all the time mm -hmm. and uh, new risk all the time. So I'm, uh, what, I'm, what I'm hopeful is, is that we've least, at least become part of the um, process. 
Nathan, can you tell me a little bit about how it's working at your organization? Yeah, I think that we've, uh, you know, we've closed a lot of the holes because as Bernie mentioned, there, there have been so many ways that things can be acquired. Uh, we've inserted ourselves as a hard stop in the capital purchasing request. So until IT, IT security has reviewed it, the purchase can't be made. And, uh, you know, the challenge we had was how to decide what we needed to review. So we just made yeah. a decision, everything. And uh, the interesting thing from the IT security standpoint is somebody's buying a van. What do we care? Well, it might have uh, a hotspot Wi-Fi functionality in it that they plan on using for some IT function. So, you know, those are the things we look at. And there are still there are still a few back doors that people can use, but we've also set up a relationship with legal that any contract that gets reviewed, any agreement that's going to get signed, they make sure to check with us to see have you reviewed this? Do you have any questions? So, a lot of it's about building relationships with you know those that might know about the purchase so that we at least are part of the conversation. And Samuel, you you know your company is involved with securing medical devices, mm -hmm. providing that visibility. Um, where what are your thoughts on this issue, the shadow or gray IT that can present a lot of risk? It's a ton of risk. Obviously, if you don't know it's connecting to your network, how can you apply the right level of policy or security or take the right steps for it? You know, it's just a thing. We, I, you're joking about a van, Nathan. I mean, we've seen, you know, the, the doctor, the chief of the medical group rolls up in their new Tesla and all of a sudden it's connecting to the network. And, you know, hopefully the guest network, hopefully it's got the right segmentation, but, you know, you never know. And we've had them connecting in weird places. So, you're right. Everything can become an IT device, even things that don't necessarily or wouldn't traditionally be thought of in that way. And so, yeah, the shadow IT medical devices, I was going to say earlier, they're one of the classic examples of a shadow or gray IT type of an investment. And it usually is after the fact that you're then working on, you know, hey, how do we secure this? Well, you don't want to stop it. We can't stop its work, but what do we do? And then, hey, that device now has a vulnerability that's not going to get patched for another two years. What do we do on the back end to make sure that our network is not at an increased level of risk while we're waiting for that. I would even say and argue that I would I would love to see this industry start pushing back on our device manufacturers to, with knowledge about these devices to say, you know what, we're gonna vote with our money and we might pay whatever, 50 cents more per device to buy from this manufacturer that's got a better track record of security, less vulnerabilities on the device. Uh, they allow patching by our staff and don't require a third party or themselves to do it or whatever those criteria would be and start voting with our dollars for more secure devices on the, the front of the acquisition process. But you got to know that about the devices that you would be evaluating. And that's where this common data platform can really be helpful. Nathan, I'd like to go over to you. Um, you know, medical device security has been a big issue, seems to me, for I don't know, two years, year and a half, at least that I've been hearing about it a lot. What was your tipping point for, I assume you were manual in some form trying to manage this. What was your tipping point to saying, we need some kind of tool here. We got to go hit the market. Well, I think for us, it was really just about the, it was almost like there was this black curtain between, you know, what we knew about that were IT devices and what we didn't know about that were clinical devices that were on the network. And Individually, you might be able to go out and see what a device is. You know, you could do investigation and say, okay, what is that device plugged into that port on the switch? But we needed something better. We needed something bigger. We needed to be able to just have a dashboard that can, we could go in and see, you know, what is out there? What is connected? Uh, 
you know, there, there's still a lot more we want to do with it, talking about Mac integration, things like that. But the first thing was just visibility. It was how do we know what's out there and where it is and, and what it does. And uh, as a, you know, as somebody that my whole life has been on the IT side of things, it's not been on the medical side. So a lot of these devices, I don't know what they are. I hear the, you, you hear the names and acronyms. It's like, I don't know what that does, mm-hmm. but uh, this actually gives us a little bit of insight into that even because now we can go in and see, you know, the classes of devices that are out there uh, through the dashboard and know, you know, what is it, where is it located at, how, how's it going to be used. And we just didn't have that before. Like I said, it was, there was just, there was this curtain between what we knew and, and uh, what was out there. So as an information security officer, a lot of, a lot of people refer to themselves as the, the chief communicator of risk, right? It's your job to communicate risk to the business, IT risk to the business, and then they make decisions. So would you say that the the risk was of an increased level? You saw the risk rising. You realized that well, there's too much risk here. And therefore, I'm going to propose to the business that we can spend some dollars here to reduce the risk. Is that how the conversation goes to a certain degree? Yeah, it does. Because uh, as I mentioned before, we had we'd kind of inserted ourselves into the purchasing process. So we were seeing what they were, you know, what they were proposing to buy. And the the advancement of things like operating systems for for medical devices, you know, it, it moves to the snail space with all the regulations and everything they have to follow through. So as we were seeing these, you know, devices that were running an operating system that was no longer supported, it really started to raise the question. So what do we have out there? Because if the new things we're buying are outdated, then we know what's already connected is outdated. And it was just not even knowing what was there. And it, it was really eye-opening once we once we started to collect the data and started looking at it to see, you know, just the volume of things that were connected. And uh, again, because you you don't know your risk if you don't know what you have. I mean, inventory is the key. And And while clinical engineering has always done a great job of having an inventory of of their devices, they look at it from a different perspective. They look mm-hmm. at it as, you know, this is a pump, this is a, an EKG, this is a this, this is a that. Whereas from an IT security perspective, we're looking at like what operating system is it running? Are there patches that are missing? You know, we're looking at it at a different level. Right. So Ber- Bernie, your thoughts around that concept of, um, you know, you lost you, your IT, your security person left, right? I don't know if they're being replaced, but so now you're the you're the chief risk IT officer at the moment. Um, so when we when we see uh, a large risk exposure that we're not comfortable with, we communicate that to the business. We provide them options. Here are your options. Hey, I've done some research. Here's a tool. Here's what it costs. Here's how much it can lower this risk, which I find to be extreme. What do you guys want to do? Is that how it goes? Um. It, it doesn't go as smoothly as you made it sound. <laughs> that would be an ideal version of that, Anthony. That would be, uh, yeah. But that would be the dream. <laughs> well, tell me um, how it goes. They're really tough dis- discussions because if you do look at from the, you know, the um, business owner buying perspective, you'll almost have to look at what are their options, um, you know, um, because that's what they're going to come back and tell you is, well, this is the only supplier, or this is the only um, solution partner that is out there that has 99.9% of what I need. What do you expect me to do? You know, so you kind of have that conversation and, 
And it really, you know, at the end of the day, it feels like we do a lot more pushing on the partners. You know, um, uh, we had an incident not too long ago. Fortunately, it wasn't anything really significant, but we had um, a Nighthawk partner, for instance, for reading radiology exams that we had to have a very strong conversation with. And the relationship with that group was it was actually with our radiologists and not the hospital organization. However, they, they share and transmit our images, which is our data. So we're thinking, okay, wait a minute. The agreement is between the radiologists, but it's our data. We've got to step in. And we did. So we did a risk assessment on the group because this, this was a relationship that was established uh, 20 years ago. And we're able to do third-party risk assessments with new purchases, or new, new partners, but haven't had the bandwidth to go back and do everything we've ever purchased over the years. So we found out they had no security uh, person on their team or anybody. In, in, and they're a small group. We get it. It's a small group. Um, they're, um, they, they don't have a dedicated security person. So we sort of lent them ours and we said, this is what you have to do, um, you know, because at the end of the day, um, I'm the one that's going to be in the news about mm -hmm. all this. Mm -hmm. So you kind of have to decide what you're willing to do and how far you're willing to take it to reduce the risk. But that relationship still exists today. It's going to continue. We just have to now keep our eyes on them at all times and make sure that, you know, if, if I... We can do that in our size of our organization, but I just can't imagine what that would be like in a large health system. I don't think that's sustainable, doable. I don't know. I mean, Nathan can probably uh, speak to that better than I can, but um, we haven't had, fortunately, we haven't had many incidents like that, but I do find we're trying to work really hard on all the vendors and the solution providers, and really there, there needs to be a little more pressure on them. I, I'm working way too hard to convince them that they need that a, a good selling point of their products and services is the security aspect. I'm going to look at a company that really understands that better than any other company. I may not have too many options or choices, but that's going to catch my attention. And they should realize it's a good selling factor. Um, but they're not speaking our language yet. They're, they've got probably two, um, I don't know, um, their technology, their platforms aren't going to allow them to be that nimble with responding to security and risk, et cetera. I don't know what the answer is, but I just know that from our end, we try to apply as much pressure as we can. Um, and that sometimes is just calling them up and saying, give me your security, you know, just talking to them about it because it shows that you're extremely interested in it. And, and, you know, if they want to be a good partner of yours, they're going to do something about it. So Samuel, you mentioned voting with your dollars, right? Yeah. I think Bernie, the, the tactic you're taking of, you know, it is your data and it's your name that will be published. And so you, you have to manage and assess that risk and choosing to go to them and say, we, we actually expect that you'll have a security officer. We expect to be able to understand, you know, what, what compliances do you have? What measures do you have? Well, please report on that. And, and I agree with you completely, especially from a device manufacturing side, you know, at the end of the day, these devices are all doing, you know, for the most part within their different classes and different functions, they're all doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. And so being able to vote and say, I'm choosing better security over less security, 
I think that's a reasonable thing. Then if we have the information about it, we can make that choice. And, you know, it's easy to cost justify to say, we're going to spend, you know, X number more for these devices, but our risk is going to go down by, you know, roughly this equivalent here. And that's a balance that the business gets to make. And as you guys report that to your, your peers and your business unit leaders, hopefully they'll see the wisdom of that. Nathan, Bernie um, was wondering how you handled something. I think she was talking about um, the third-party risk of new vendors that are coming on. They have a program to examine those new vendors and make sure they're good to go. But the the older vendors, just not the bandwidth to go through that yet. Um, so you have some existing things that may present some significant risk. Uh, she wondered, I think, how, how a large organization handles it. So what are your thoughts? Yeah, we have the exact same problem. We, you know, with our risk assessment program, primarily it focuses on all the new purchases and new, the, the new things coming in. But we have started implementing if there's a renewal. So if there's a contract renewal, maintenance renewal, whatever, we've brought those into the program to say, okay, we're going to do that as well. And it's created some interesting challenges because as we do our assessment, uh, we're pretty quick about turning around our review of it. Of course, if we have findings that need to be responded to, then it slows it down. But but typically, we're we're able to turn our, around a review in within a day or two. Uh, it always it's the vendor getting them to give the responses, what they're going to you know how they address all the questions we have. And I was approached by our clinical engineering director just a couple of weeks ago about, hey, you're kind of slowing down our renewals. I'm like, you need to work for your vendor. I mean, we, you know, we're doing things as fast as we can. I can, I have data to show you that we are not slowing it down with our part of the process. Uh, so really it's focusing on where's the problem at, but uh, exactly as Bernie said, the bandwidth to just go back and do an assessment of everything you have, that would be next to impossible. And it really, all we, all we can do right now is use tools like Metagate to know what's out there so that we can at least track what the risk level is. And, you know, if there are some mitigations we can put in place for those devices, then work on that. All right, very good. Time for my favorite section, our Ask a Co-Panelist segment. Um, Samuel, do you have a question for one or both of your co-panelists? Yeah, I actually have a question for both of you. I'd love to hear your responses to this. Your careers, you guys have both been in your organizations for a significant amount of time. I think both of you are are you know 18 to 20 plus year veterans of your specific organizations. Our, our world, I think technology in the world in general, but also healthcare in general is struggling to attract, retain and keep talent. And you know, we kind of commented earlier off the air about the great resignation. Maybe you've seen press on that. I'm just curious your perspectives on, um, as someone who has been in the same organization for a lengthy period of time, what benefits and advantages do you see to that strategy? And maybe what advice would you give others who are in their career as they're you know, climbing the ranks? Uh, Bernie, why don't them. you go first? Yeah. Well, that's a loaded question. Um, so you asked about the staff and retention. And then, um, you know, I, I believe, uh, Samuel, forgive me, I think you were asking too about what kind of skill set um, people looking for jobs should have. Is that kind of yeah, a, it's just kind of like if a, you could reflect generally on the benefits you've seen in your own development and career as you've stayed in the same organization and um, you know throughout your different roles and the experiences that you've had why why would that be beneficial to someone so instead of going to look for a new job why staying at the same organization might be of benefit well you know it i i strongly believe and i have uh 
validated this with, you know, certain members of our team. But I, you know, there's there's some advantage, um, maybe a small advantage into being lean. Um, people who really are into IT, and this is how I was, this is how I got to my position, is there wasn't a single thing in IT that I wasn't interested in. It all blew my mind. And the more <laughs> I could learn, I mean, now I'm in charge of security. I was a bedside nurse back in 1980, okay? Um, now, I was in critical care, so I was used to using equipment, and but we had no EMR. And so when the EMR came around, I'm like, wow. I could have used that. <laughs> uh-huh. And so um, I think maybe from my perspective, I know this isn't the same for everyone, but being that I was a nurse in a hospital and maybe Samuel, you can relate to this. Mm-hmm. You were a PCT. Um, you can appreciate the value of IT. Yeah. And as you appreciate it, when you see it change and evolve and get better over the years, your appreciation grows. I mean, I am still learning all the time. I Mm -hmm. take classes. I'm looking at cybersecurity certifications that make sense at my level. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I, um, learned networking speak, even though I am, I didn't grow up in that part of the organization, but I've managed infrastructure and ops for a long time now. Um, I think it's important for me, anytime something comes under me, that I dive in and understand it. Why would anybody work for me if I had no clue what they were doing? And so it's a small advantage to being lean that our staff are never pigeonholed into one thing. Um, If you're in my department and you show a desire to work on the security team, you're going to be on the security team. So, um, and I have worked for large, large health systems, either for them as a consultant and and being able to observe or within an organization. And you tend to get a little pigeonholed. You know, you do this, you only do that. Um, Mm. You know, um, you have a role and that's what it is. But every time I've been in an organization that was a little bit lean, the only person stopping you from growing your career was you. And demonstrating an interest in changing with the times, learning new technology, and just evolving with the industry. And um, that's all I know. That's a, that's all I can say from my yeah. perspective. Yeah. Nathan? Yeah, I could ramble for an hour on this topic, so I'll try <laughs> to be brief. Um, really, it, it, it is about, and I've said this several times, I think already, it's about relationships. It's about making sure that those that you're working with, whether it be whether it be peers or staff, that they feel that they're valued to make sure that they know their role and know the importance of their role. And the the key for for me is, you know, I've I've been at the same place 25 plus years. I I sometimes feel I've missed out by not experiencing how other places do things. So you try to build those relationships outside of your organization to to know a little bit more about uh, what others are doing. Uh, but within the team, it's it's become a challenge, you know, lately with the remote work where, our, you know, my entire staff, they all work remote. I don't see them face to face hardly at all. And getting them to be committed to our organization and what we're doing and, and you know, it, it's key to make them feel like they're a part of it. That's that's a great point, Nathan. And, and Samuel mentioned the, the great resignation. And um, as people are less connected to their organization, they're going to be much uh, it's going to be leaving is going to be like nothing. 
it's going to be I log into a different site in the morning and because you're, you're not going to build that team. And I, I know that can be of concern to, to leaders. And Bernie, um, just real quick, any more thoughts on building that team? And, and especially with new hires that don't have a background with the company and experience with the company, do, are you concerned with, with keeping a cohesive team feeling? You know, um, our teams have been working together for a long time. So when, when we went to video conferencing, you know, everybody was kind of excited about working from home because we, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people live in the area. It's not a big deal for them to come into work and and they like each other. Like Nathan said, you know, I don't worry about relationships on the teams. They just happen to like each other a lot. They they play golf together when they're not here at work. And I think, oh my God, you spent eight, you know, 12 <laughs> hours a day with this person and now you're going to go play golf with them. And, you know, so just the other day I was sitting with a team, you know, um, we just had a conversion in, uh, that we supported in the lab and they were just talking about, oh, let's go pay pickleball on Saturday and we're going to do golf on Thursday. I mean, the, these guys love being around each other and they get along good. And that's kind of what we look forward to. We want to make sure that when we hire somebody, they will fit into that kind of culture. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's kind of important, but we do meet a lot um, because we've been all together for a long time. You know, uh, the physical presence wasn't a big deal. The new people are a challenge, though, because you want them to feel part of the, the same culture that your team already knows about prior to doing all this video conferencing and working from home. And you want them to feel a part of it. And so far, we haven't had too many issues with that because a lot of folks like coming into the office. I had the opposite effect where my staff was going, can we come back in now? Um, I, you know, I like working from home, but the dog is getting to me and everyone's knocking at my door and the kids are driving me nuts. I really would like to come back to work. Right. So, <laughs> so we kind of had a, an interesting combination of that happening. And I thought, wow, that's a surprise, you know, but yeah, I think Nathan hit on it. You know, you got to have people, you got to help encourage that kind of, you know, camaraderie with your teams and, and, you know, so, so the downside of that is you have to look for those that, uh, disrupt that in your environment mm. and you, you've got to address it. Um, and that's probably harder to do than, you know, encouraging people to play and work together. It's, it's addressing the ones that create that disruption to that nice, happy family environment. So. All right. Very good. Well, we're almost out of time. I want to give everyone a, a final chance for a final thought, maybe more, uh, specifically on our topic, um, just thoughts or advice to people in your position at other health systems that, you know, feel that elevated level of risk with, with these devices. Um, thoughts on approaching this conversation. Who, If you see an elevated level of risk around these devices, what's your best advice on how to move these devices? What's your best advice on how to move forward with that conversation, who are you approaching and what's that conversation like? Nathan? I would say, you know, gain partners that see value in it. Uh, you know, if, if clinical engineering, for example, is not a part of your team, then talk to them and get them to see the value in it. Uh, go to operations even and try to show them some of the things that the value that they're going to gain out of, you know, better reliability, better standards, adherence, things like that, 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 uh, that they'll see because ultimately, again, it's everybody should care about the patient care and how do you focus it back to that? And I think that in a healthcare organization, that's been the best selling point that I've ever seen is how does this help patient care? 
Yeah, so Bernie, as you see the risk as an IT uh, executive and you say, okay, something has to be done about this. I need to go sell this to the right people, correct? Yeah, it, it, same thing. It's stakeholders. It's whoever is most, um, you kind of work your way, you know, outward, like who is most directly involved. Um, you you kind of get their attention around the risk and you kind of move out from there. It's like, well, who do they report to? And then you keep moving, going. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it really depends. And, you know, you kind of go straight for the direct uh, stakeholders to, to have that relationship and, and they're entitled to that. I'm not going to go around anybody um, to, to point fingers and say, Hey, you know, look what they're doing. I'm going to start with a person, you know, first and, and try to work with them in that respect. Samuel, I'll give you the last word. Oh, thank you. So I, <clears throat> I think it all starts down. You got to know what's there, and you got to be able to have that foundation. What one CISO told me this. He said that the the platform you use, it's a it it begs collaboration. It's what he said. Those were the words that he used. And so, being able to look at the data set from multiple angles, but it's a common data set. I think that goes a long ways into those collaborative conversations amongst peers. And if you're not having that with your biomedical peers, if you're not having that around the operations or supply chain, or even in the ITIS worlds of getting the IT and security teams to come to the table together, even sometimes that can be a challenge um, to say, hey, it's about securing these devices, which are connected to our patients. And we, we have to do, we have to do this hard work and get it done. And if you have a common foundation of data about the device, that really speeds that process up. All right. Very good. Well, that's about all we had time for today regarding continuing education. You can use the final slide in this deck. You'll get an email when the on-demand recording of this webinar is ready for viewing. If you want to sponsor an event with us, you can reach out to Nancy Wilcox from our team and you can go to our website to register for upcoming webinars. With that, I want to very much thank our panel, Bernie Reed, Nathan Phoenix, and Samuel Hill. And I want to thank Medigate for sponsoring and our attendees for joining us. And with that, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you.